Welcome, everybody, to the second Turnbuckle podcast, the first edition of the second Turnbuckle podcast. My name is Toogie. And I am Crash. With no latency whatsoever. And together we are friends <laughs> who both love wrestling. Some might even say best friends. Some I, I would say crash. so. Some might say. <laughs> I would. This podcast is a long time coming, first and foremost. And this is really going to serve as a place for us to talk about the news of the week in the wrestling world, the highs and lows of the past, and so much more. Pretty much whatever we decide to talk about. And we're happy that you joined us for our debut show this week. We're going to cover our own personal histories when it comes to our wrestling fandom. We're going to talk about the WWE's resurgence and momentum following Vince McMahon's departure. We're going to preview AEW's All Out pay-per-view this weekend. And we'll reminisce about one of the greatest matches of all time that just passed. It's 30-year anniversary that Crash did not see until about five hours ago. (laughs) (laughs) Truth. I own it. God, I don't even know how that's possible. but. Crash, first and foremost, it's great to uh, to finally be making this happen. We've talked about this for a bit. I know for me, I've been looking for, you know, kind of for that outlet to talk about wrestling because it doesn't really fit into the bubble of anything else that I do. You know, for anybody who somehow is hearing this that doesn't know, Crash and I, both streamers on Twitch, you can find uh, links in the description, I am sure. But yeah, no, this this is great. I've been needing to find this kind of outlet to just talk about wrestling for the longest time. Well, the greatest thing about like our relationship is we have so many different uh, things that we're uh, we enjoy that whenever we get together, sooner or later, it actually gets to wrestling. So yes. the fact that we can actually find some time and actually talk wrestling, uh, quotation marks, professionally, <laughs> mm. uh, I think this is going to be a, a, a match made in heaven. Tip of the cap to elizabeth and macho man randy savage (laughs) the amount of times for example on stream we would be playing uh, of all things nascar talking about wrestling (laughs) (laughs) i've done it to deke too i remember like uh good friend deke slayer uh we he was like going through uh, a classic baseball game i think it was like what was uh what was mlb's version of uh nfl blitz uh slugfest yeah yeah i think he he found a copy of it for like playstation and he was playing with and he's he invited me into his discord just to chat or whatever and then it got on to like who is the greatest tag teams of all time (laughs) like for no other reason and that's the idea of having those conversations i think this is a natural progression of hey let's just set aside an hour you know put our feet up enjoy our uh uh what's the the old i'm trying to think now like the references that are coming through my head uh are amazing what was the stuff that vincent mcmahon always had on the wall when uh whenever they do the flashbacks of him working out to take on like mcmahon something pro oh the ico pro ico pro yeah like the (laughs) ico pro and was it protein powder or whatever yes and uh god I, I still believe uh, CM Punk is correct. They need to bring back the ice cream bars. That they do. It's yeah. funny you mentioned IcoPro because obviously like a big catalyst of our friendship has been uh, you're an Alberta guy, right. not all that far out from Calgary. So it's that idea of obviously, you know, and I'm sure that's a, 
has to be somewhat of a part of your wrestling fandom, which we'll get to in a second, is just the institution known as the Hart family. And it is funny because very recently, like this past April, I finally got around to reading Brett's autobiography uh, while I was on a road trip. It was kind of the perfect thing. You know, I'm sitting in the back seat. The fiance is up front with her with her mom of all people. He actually ended up road tripping with her parents, which was an interesting experience. I was sick the whole time too. So I'm <laughs> sitting in the back seat of this car with just seven boxes of tissues, sneezing every five seconds, but reading Brett's book. An amazing book, by the way. It did live up to the hype. And one of the things he mentions is just getting like just crates of Icopro and not knowing what to do with it, just giving it away because <laughs> it's like, who wants this? Who even needs this? Well, even um, growing up as as a kid in like the eighties and nineties, late eighties, early nineties, it was like you knew Icopro was a thing. You knew it was involved with the WWE, but we didn't have internet. We didn't have the ability to search these things. We didn't know what it was or anything like that. Like back when even uh, when Vince had his bodybuilding. <laughs> his oh, the WBF. Yeah, the WBF. <laughs> um, sponsored by IcoPro. Oh, it must be good to get muscle. But where do you get it? How do you get like? If I, if I buy IcoPro, I'll look like Lex Luger. What? And it probably that's probably how, you know, they they got to you back then. I remember always filling out uh, the WWF. Mega, we're allowed to say WWF. Uh, yes. In the period, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the magazine. Every every one I got, I'd fill out what I wanted to order. I never ordered. I never sent out for it. But I'm like, oh yeah, I want that uh, Ultimate Warrior T-shirt, and I want that uh, Macho Man Randy Savage glasses, and. Oh, I'm going to spend $500, but it would always stay in the back of the magazine. Yep. No, same same thing for me. Now, I guess, you know, in talking about the histories, right, we can talk about it. Like, there's there's a decent little age gap between the two of us. I am, uh, I'll, I'll allow you to say, like, I'm 28. Crash is a smidge older. I am 32. 42. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a man. So there is that crossover in terms of the generations right because as you're talking about the idea of oh let me order the the macho man glasses from a wwf magazine not to make you upset but i wasn't born when it said well i was i was i was technically an alive human right at the end of randy savage's wwf tenure in, right. in 94 and that's that's about it so the differences in that, I think, are going to be interesting as we kind of continue to talk about it. But, you know, I've I've very much gone back and watched everything like in terms of my fandom. That's what it that's what it's been. And I'm sure, you know, we'll talk about that as the shows go on. But just getting my hands on whatever I could possibly watch. And then obviously, you know, you talk about the Internet and the expansion of that and kind of just literally continuing that with independent promotions, too. For you, though, let's talk about it. The earliest wrestling memories and the evolution of your fandom as a wrestling fan. I, I just recently looked it up, but I, I didn't retain the year or the month. But it is it is the WWF magazine. It was on my uh, my uncle's uh, coffee table and it featured demolition on the cover. I could I could probably search it while you're going through yours. I can tell you the exact uh, edition of it. But when I saw that, that is what I remember just saying, 
I want in. I don't care what this is. I remember seeing like, because it was available to us uh, right after Stampede Wrestling. Shout out to uh, Ed Whalen and Stampede Wrestling. Ring a ding dong dandy. Um, and then we got Maple Leaf Wrestling. So I remember like going past it. I remember getting snippets of it, but I it never really hooked. And then talking to my uncle, like, what is this? He's like, well, that's demolition. That's wrestling. And then we would talk about like bad news, Alan, and we would, uh, you know, Brett and Jake, the snake and, you know, all these characters kind of came from this world and it just got more and more entrenched. And then when you hear, uh, hailing from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is where I grew up and Bret Hart and Owen Hart. Well, now I'm hooked, but I was never really a big Bret Hart guy back then. It was, it was Jake, the snake Robertson, Brutus the Barber Beefcake were my two favorite wrestlers in the beginning. And I think Texas Tornado as well. Uh, Carrie Von Eric. And uh, then it was once I understood that Brett and Owen were from uh, were from where I grew up. That was the coolest thing in the world. And that's uh, that's the beginning of the fandom. So for me, earliest memories. Right around. I want to say 97. So I am three years Ooh. old or so. You got it in right in where you shouldn't have based on the attitude era. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of growing up, there were two main interests. My parents both shared and it was hockey and wrestling. Nice. So you look at early pictures of me as a kid and I'm either wearing something Boston Bruins related or I'm wearing something wrestling related. You know, growing up, my dad had the Austin 316 shirt. I have pictures of when I'm, you know, four or five years old, or uh, really would have been around five or six for like Chris Jericho related stuff. Uh, there was like this weird, like almost silk raw is Jericho shirt that I'm wearing at like five, six years old. <laughs> it's an incredible <laughs> picture. Is it like the button up that he used to wear when no, he had like even... the... It wasn't even a button up. It was like this long sleeve, like, I don't even know how to explain it. Oh. They they would sell anything they could, though, obviously. Was, if I remember correctly, it was more like a basketball, like shooting shirt or, or something that to that probably effect. existed, too. Yeah. <laughs> but so like the earliest memory I had, and I, I've never been able to decipher if it's what I saw on TV or if I had watched a taped episode of Raw. Um because I am old enough to have had those experiences of having to tape with a VHS tape an episode of Raw and watch yeah. it the next day when I got home from school. I didn't miss out on that, thankfully. Those are those are some very fond memories. But the earliest memory had to do with the Nation of Domination, <laughs> which is <laughs> incredible. And it was at the time that they were feuding with Ahmed Johnson. Uh, not Not the coolest, you know first wrestling memory you could possibly have uh especially when ahmed's catchphrase at the time was getting the crowd to chant you're going down i don't know if that <laughs> i don't know if that's quite the winner compared Attitude to some of the other catchphrases of the time <laughs> but yeah i mean from there it was just constant constant i was a fan of you know the wwf wcw ecw when it was on tnn i remember watching it a little bit because i had uh, a neighbor who was two or three years older 
and his parents were not that my parents were overly strict, but his parents were a little bit more lax. But it's not like ECW on TNN was the most absurd version of ECW at that point. Like it was pretty tame in comparison. Um, but yeah, I, it didn't matter if it was shirts, if it was the action figures for both companies. I remember um, we went to not a Walmart. I don't know if it would have been a Canadian thing, but there was a Walmart esque store in the states called Ames. And I got a Sting action figure, and it came with a dumpster. Don't know why. <laughs> a sting. Maybe a bat, maybe something else. No, it came with a collapsible dumpster. Couldn't even put anybody in the dumpster like uh, a Cactus Jack, Terry Funk thing. Just, no, came with a dumpster. But it, it just, it never stopped. You know, it never stopped, you know, through the early 2000s. I do recall that active period of MMA and the UFC really picking up steam with the ultimate fighter. Um, my best friend, for example, was someone we grew up both loving wrestling. Um, and then, yeah, he was one of the people that the UFC was a thing. And he's like, well, wrestling's okay, but I can watch the real shit. Uh, yeah. And I'm just like, I enjoy both. <laughs> so yeah. why not both? <laughs> re- rest- wrestling wise, it really has been something that's that's just been a constant. I have never stopped watching wrestling in some way shape or form as we'll talk about some companies i may have stopped watching over the years but i i never had that down period the lapsed fan time frame that never happened for me i have consistently been watching wrestling since i was old enough to make cognitive decisions see and i i kind of have um by the way march 1989 demolition uh, wwf magazine um, I kind of have, and it, it kind of does relate to the screw job. Um, my interest kind of waned a little bit. Um, for the record, 14 minutes into our first podcast for the first Montreal screw job reference. <laughs> we had a good run, but it was finally mentioned. <laughs> we'll have like a ding sound effect for every time we mention it, because I'm sure it'll come up lots. Um, yeah. It kind of waned in that era. Vince going, Brett screwed Brett. <laughs> yes. Sorry, continue. <laughs> um, but I always kept up with, like, the dirt sheets. I always uh, went to the same websites and kind of kept tabs. Whether or not I watched, um, my interest in watching uh, became less and less. Uh, up until just recently with, with my uh, my youngest kid. So it's... Uh, again that generation gap of now i'm experiencing everything and whether or not it's cool through my kids or not but now i'm actually getting to an era uh which we'll talk about uh later on that professional wrestling is actually enjoyable again for i hate i, I don't mean to use the term the purist but for somebody who got to see professional wrestling at its height and then it kind of went back down to the kids and the goofiness and the silliness and let's change wrestlers' names and stuff just for the wing of it. And like now it's getting back to enjoyable, which uh, this podcast, this episode uh, in general, uh, I think will will highlight a lot. So overall, I think we can both kind of say like, okay, lifelong fans of wrestling. How much did you go back and and watch if you have at all from the era that you, that you kind of missed? Or is it just like, nah, I I don't even have interest in watching like the, the bright points of any of those eras. I've really enjoyed 
um the more the documentaries and the behind the scenes like the uh wwe did a, a fantastic documentary on uh edge versus uh mick foley at wrestlemania um i've enjoyed more of those than actually i don't think i've had any interest to go back and watch that match beginning to end but to watch like an hour-long documentary on a 15-minute match that also included a flaming table mm. i i'm all in like the um the ruthless aggression episodes the the a and e documentaries that are coming out uh i didn't really get too much into the um uh what's the uh vice those oh the dark side dark side yeah i didn't really get too much into those yet but the ones that i caught like i did watch the uh brian pillman uh episode from beginning to end and just was uh, really engaged in it whether or not i want to go back and watch a flying brian or uh see the raw where uh he pulls the gun on austin or or anything like that i got no interest in that that will come up later on in this uh <laughs> that topic by the way not not the gun but going back and watching the uh the matches and episodes that'll that'll come back i'll i'll reiterate a little bit more later on in the podcast yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing for me where, like I said, having not have any any lapsed moments in the fandom, I think for someone, you know, because you talk about those WWE documentaries and in a lot of ways, like people who are, I guess, kind of hardcores like me that know that they kind of flubbed some stuff, but you do get the gist of mm-hmm. the eras at the time. So they, they do their job. Dark Side, nine out of 10 episodes you watch are going to be phenomenal. And some do have the entertainment factor, but you have to be honest at the same time. Some of those are tough to watch at the same yeah. time. And that's not the experience that everyone necessarily wants. Oh, you know, 100%. I think to yeah, we just passed a year of uh, my fiance watching wrestling. She never watched, never cared, nothing. Uh, and then she could tell how excited I was about CM Punk coming back last year that episode of rampage i'm like i have to watch this like normally it's like yeah uh, i'll watch like i would watch dynamite after my after i was done streaming and i would just watch it in my office or something that was the time where i'm like i'm gonna start watching this on tv a bit more and she's like yeah sure whatever i'll read that's fine and slowly starting to look up a little bit more and stuff like that and it's just uh I don't, I don't know. It's interesting, right? Because I, I think of her and it's like, okay, she, she watches more now. She went to a Dynamite episode with me in Worcester, you know, in Massachusetts in July, which is insane. But she's not the type of person where I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, you got to watch this dark side of the ring about uh, like the Jake the Snake Roberts episode, for example. It's, it's holy hell. Like, you, you need to be in the right mindset because that's very depressing subject matter. You know, like, that's not the type of thing I'd show her. If she was interested in WWE at all, which she's not, because I <clears throat> don't watch it. Um, you know, if there was, if, if AEW had been around for long enough, and it was A&E doing documentaries about, like, oh, yeah, M- MJF, she would watch that. And that would be the right, the right kind of tone to it. So it, it is interesting that, you know, you're kind of at that standpoint, because I, I, I think it's going to create an interesting dynamic for us, where it's like, hey, I'm the... I don't want to say more so of the hardcore fan, but it's like, 
I, I guess for you, it's like, yeah, you're, you're not like I, I, I would say that you have the opinion of like, oh, I don't need to know everything, even though you mentioned like, oh, yeah, I was like reading freaking Wrestling Observer in the 90s. You're not the one that has to have like the hardcore obsessive. Like, I need the most information. I need to know everything about everything. I I find and I found earlier today, I think I get the sense of the match, like the individual matches I don't necessarily need to watch to understand the impact and i mean if it's if it's a wrestler that i've never seen before yeah i'm i'm going to want to watch that but case in point and we'll probably get to it a little bit but i didn't watch cm punk versus mox mm-hmm. but i don't feel like i need to um to say waste is the wrong term but i don't feel like i need to go back and watch 2 minutes 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes based on how I now um, absorb the wrestling world. Right? Like, I know I know the impact of what that is. I know the two wrestlers. I know the impact that they have where they're at. And I know the story heading in, and I, I read what had happened. And you and I talk about what happened, and I read Twitter and see clips of what happened. Therefore, I don't necessarily need to sit and watch three hours of raw or one hour or two hours or five hours through a week to understand how important everything is. But I still retain the, the concepts and stuff as, but I mean like a, a throwaway match of like, um, I know that, uh, like main event, I know that there's been some really good WWE yeah. main event, um, matches too. lately but those don't quite have the impact to the wrestling world as much as they do to the internet fan base, if that makes sense. So you're very much on the side of like, look, I can see good wrestling anywhere. You're more so in it for like, I need the story that really hooks me in to be like, make me commit to watching this match that's going to be good, but everything else about it needs to be good too because I can see good wrestling on a weekly basis. Yes, especially and, too, because like you grew up starting to watch wrestling in the era of squash matches on TV every week, right? And the payoff was the pay per view, and the the pay per view right. better deliver. Um, whereas the value of the matches on Raw, uh, and it might have, it may have gotten to a point of they can screw with the matches and give the terrible finishes that you've invested so much time in because they're just going to wrestle again on raw. Mm. And to me, I mean, uh, I canceled my WWE, uh, network subscription at this past Royal rumble. I'm uh, you know what? It's great that Brock Lesnar won. He is one of the purest talents that the N or the NHL, the <laughs> WWE <laughs> has ever seen. Brock Lesnar in in the NHL, though. I mean, he couldn't make the NFL, but maybe he could have made the NHL. Uh, Possibly. Well, I mean, he's from Minnesota and now resides in Winnipeg. I mean, it's in his blood, I would imagine. Um, But (laughs) Brock Lesnar versus Ryan Reeves in a hockey fight. I'd pay for that on pay-per-view. Oh, man. (laughs) Uh, But I mean, like, just the buildup and how he lost... uh, how he lost his title earlier in the pay-per-view and now he's in at 30 and he gets the the match or he gets the the title shot at WrestleMania like come on like we're not stupid like do not insult us with how you're doing things which 
again. You know, with the post Vince McMahon era, we're we're seeing some changes to to get us back to what professional wrestling like the investment of the viewer versus the return on that investment from the company. Mm. I'm starting to feel that vibe of like we're actually getting what not what we want, but what we've put in, we're getting something back out of that is actually worthwhile of actually sitting through three hours on a Monday or 10 hours through an entire week. And then you have the pay-per-views, which I think this weekend is going to be one of the greatest weekends of wrestling, just based on the era that we're in and how things are changing in professional wrestling. Right. I think that's honestly kind of, you you segued it perfectly to, to being able to talk about WWE and the change that they've undergone in just this month, essentially. Um, since Vince McMahon was forced to step away from the company, at least in terms of a leadership role, he is still the uh, the majority shareholder of the company. Um, mm-hmm. So he's still there in a sense, but obviously the day-to-day he's out. And just the optimism in general, I do believe their viewership has gone up, has been the reports now over these past couple of weeks. And obviously there is just that general sense, like despite the fact that like I said, I grew up watching WWE, and I'll set that line right now, right? As we talk about that company, the product itself was, as you said, frankly terrible. Everybody knew it. Like you said, you watch a pay-per-view, you watch them on Raw, you're going to see the same matches. It's just the sense of nothing matters. At the same time, uh, one of the final straws for me, and... In, in some ways, you can take a stance on what companies you're going to support, even though they do terrible shit. That's just kind of a reality that we all have to deal with and we all have to decide. Is it still worth, essentially, the convenience of it? Or do I have no other viable alternative? For WWE, when they go into bed with the, uh, with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, I do have alternative wrestling promotions to support because I find that to be pretty shitty uh you know uh, shocking take sports washing not my favorite thing um formula one starts racing in saudi arabia do i have an alternative to formula one not quite and that's that's kind of my issue there to where i still support formula one and it might make me a bit hypocritical and i'll I'll accept that if that's the case but you have that going on the product's not that great you have the saudi arabia deal you have the way they elected to treat performers and actual like employees, or I guess even then, maybe refs and stuff like that. Commentators, announcers are considered independent contractors as well. But the way they treated their staff during the early stages of the pandemic, um, cutting hundreds of people while touting record profits, just there was only so much I could take in terms of essentially rubbing the freaking overly capitalistic attitude like in my face like i just want to enjoy wrestling i like i said you you sit there and you cut all those people it was just such a bad taste in my mouth i'm still not back on the wwe hype train i respect the fact that people are more excited for this product now than they have been in years i respect that you know i i know that clash at the castle is this weekend the card itself on paper will do what pretty much every WWE pay-per-view does, even if the buildup is a bit poor, which the buildup to this has been better than the buildup to probably any show they've had in the past 10 years. If the buildup is poor, the matches would always deliver. And that was the attitude that people had about 
to WWE, right? Like, how many times, I can't count how many times in the past couple of years I've heard, like, yeah, I didn't watch Raw or SmackDown, but the pay-per-views are great. I heard Raw and SmackDown were trash, but the pay-per-view was great. So I'm still I'm still not quite there. Like we'll see long term if the WWE continues their path momentum wise. And in terms of some of the shadiness, we'll see there too. But I I can acknowledge the fact that they are doing significantly better in how they are presenting their shows. And it's because you do not have a 77 year old man with all of the uh, a problematic tendencies we'll we'll label him with uh you don't have him at the helm of this anymore and surprise surprise people are more optimistic because of it well and here's i don't think anybody can blame you i don't think anybody can sit here and say well toogie you're a wrestling fan so you have to love wwf you grew up on wwf and wwe and wcw and they own it all and you have to give them a fair shake. You have to. At the end of the day, time is one of our uh, most valuable commodities. So spend it doing what you want. You make an income, spend it on what you want. If you have column A, which you don't feel all that great about, but column B is still a little shady, but you like, guess what? You know what? Just go. For it. But what we're seeing in this era now is a return to professional wrestling. The lines were blurred when the term sports entertainment by the head, the, the, the biggest game out there says, we're not professional wrestlers, we're sports entertainers. That blurred the lines. That all of a sudden made it complacent to forget about what happens in the ring. It was more about the backstage stuff. It was more about the characters. It had nothing to do with what happened in the ring. The ring was the byproduct. And if you got a good match, it was because you had two hard worker hard workers that at the end of the day were professional wrestlers at heart that always wanted to be where they were, if that makes sense. We're now seeing a return to that and we actually have a professional wrestler at the head of the table making the decisions saying we're going back to what it used to be. They're not going back to the Doink the Clown and Duke the Dumpster Drossy era. They're going Damn back. To... <laughs> we're going back to where the match actually um, is the most important thing. And how we get there is 1B. So. The idea, oh, I talked about investment, uh, time investment in uh, the product and what we're getting back out of it. We invested a lot of time in Dexter Loomis. We invested a lot of time in Pete Dunne. We invested a lot of time in Matt, uh, Matt Riddle uh, in the last little bit. And those guys got taken away from us. Now Dexter Loomis got released. Matt Riddle became Riddle. And uh, Pete Dunne became... Uh, Butch. Butch. I was going to say Spanky for some reason, but he might as well have been called Spanky. Basically, and, yeah. And Triple H is now returning those guys to who we invested in in NXT. And just really quickly on, on that little side, uh, he invested five years into NXT before AEW came to play. Yeah. And when AEW came... 
they were grabbing the right guys that we didn't see in NXT. And one guy who we invested his entire career in in WCW and WWE. And this other guy from Japan who a lot of people have heard of. Some people had seen his matches, but the rest of the world wanted to see. Where do you think our eyes are going to go at that point? So the whole Wednesday Night Wars were lost because of the new kid on the block and you didn't give yourself enough time to see whether or not your product would eventually beat them. Which I think if they stayed with Triple H's formula of of NXT, they might have. It's debatable, but it, it would be neck and neck. I think they'd have a closer thing to what we had with the Monday Night Wars than pulling shoot and just throwing neon paint on on what we had and then throw a whole bunch of guys in that we didn't invest in and the main guy you're running with we invested in his dad so I guess we'll invest in him now it's just I guess the point the main point is is that investment of time and money for me if you take away everything I invested in and said oh you'll still like this guy he's just repackaged you'll like this girl but she's now uh, doing something else than what you invested in. To me, that's insulting to my intelligence. To say that Butch is not Pete Dunne is insulting to my intelligence. I mean, you are essentially actively retconning characters as you go along for the sole purpose of just saying, like, okay, like we all... Like, obviously, there is that audience that's just not plugged in and only treats the show as what it is. And for them, yeah, they're just going to be like, okay. For the rest of us that are a little bit more plugged in, it is that act of retconning to just be like, okay, cool. We're going to get to see Pete Dunn as Pete Dunn. Thank God. Um, and, you know, I mean, you mentioned NXT. And I think that's where a lot of AEW's momentum came from when they first started was like... Really, it was around the time that Johnny Gargano won the NXT championship that I stopped because it was at that time where so many people were getting called up and doing absolutely nothing on the main roster. Yes. So I'm like, why am I going to invest? Why am I going to invest my time in NXT when I know they're just going to go up to the main roster and all of a sudden Alistair Black has the fucking creaky door lifts like he has a sound <laughs> effect added to his shit and it's just like. There was just so much of that that it's like, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And yeah, at the same time, I had already been a fan of a Ring of Honor, of a New Japan. Um, one of the first, if not the first, show that they did in the U.S. Co-promoted between the two, that first War of the Worlds uh, pay-per-view that they did in New York City. I was there. Um, the only show I've ever been to at the uh, at the Hammerstein Ballroom, and it was pretty damn good it was the kevin steen shinsuke nakamura got to see that in person and then it's like oh cool i get to see it on smackdown five years later and it and it, it's not the same what do you know but i watch nxt and okay hey yeah that's, that's that's good and then nxt starts to dip and then it's like okay what else is there and the new japan's at their heights and then AEW comes along and that was certainly checking more of the boxes for me it does make me wonder where wrestling would have been had this change happened five years ago had Triple H taken the reins five years ago, what would the wrestling landscape look like? And that's going to be the big, one of the biggest what-ifs in wrestling history. 
time will tell here now, though, if WWE continues the momentum that they're currently on. But it is no surprise that even though it's not perfect and right, like, again, I don't watch. I do listen to other podcasts and, you know, follow along on Twitter and Reddit, like you said. Like on on Monday, there were there were certainly some choices that people seemed a little bit surprised by the winners of the women's tag tournament, for example, seemed to catch a lot of people off guard and piss a lot of people off. So you're never going to bat a thousand. Like I don't I don't invest in the whole for the most part, the serious conversation of like shitting on one brand, only siding with one brand. WWE gets better. AEW steps their game up. It's the same thing that we had in the mid to late nineties as well. Um, but I'm intrigued to see if they can kind of, you know, if they can kind of continue this momentum that they've built up because it's the first time I think there's been a lot of positivity surrounding the WWE in five years. Four. Since Wait, the attitude to... era. Yeah, I mean, well, I was thinking back, like there was a lot of optimism when they did that first brand split again. Or not the first one, but like 2016, I think they did a brand split again. And that resulted in a lot of optimism you had the Miz promo on talking smack and stuff like that like yeah but and they, then they, it settled back into the same old stuff they always had like little glimmers of like holy crap they've got it they understand it now they're gonna this is gonna change it and the, i'm glad you brought up the Miz promo because i think that's in the last decade that is one of the greatest performances and it wasn't even on their main shows they referenced it afterwards. They threw it up on their YouTube. It, it got um, amazing uh, views and uh, it was talked about. It was on it was on Talking Smack like it was on their C or D show. But, you know, to have somebody who's so passionate about the product, Miz is a professional wrestler. Miz is not a sports entertainer. Miz knows his character. He knows how to get the most out of it. He knows how to work the fans. And then once he gets into the ring, he is one of... Uh, I'll go on record as saying I think Miz is one of the greatest technical performers that WWF, WWE has ever had. Mainly because he has taken Jake Paul and had amazing matches with him. Logan uh, bad... Paul, right? Logan Paul, sorry, yes. Yeah. Just, just uh, to clarify. <laughs> yeah, which... Uh, I'm 42, I don't care which Paul these fucking what even is a TikTok influencer (laughs) uh bad bunny did not have a good tag team match with uh uh the Miz and uh Johnny Nitro as I like to call him uh and the other guy I'm I'm totally having old guy brain right now like I'm asking you what's that guy's name the well, see, the problem is, like, I can fill in the you blanks don't know stuff, but you asked me about the WWE for the past five years, and I'm going to be like, uh, I see it on Reddit? I might have. That yeah. match was, at WrestleMania, was amazing. It was amazingly entertaining, but it wasn't because of Damian Priest, is the name, and Bad Bunny. It was because of uh, Johnny Nitro and uh, The Miz. Those guys made chicken salad out of chicken shit. Like, as much as dedication you can put into it, as much as you can train for it for months, you can't get on a WrestleMania stage and have a match like that if you don't have guys who know what they're doing can bring out the best of you in that match. So I think The Miz is one of the greatest 
technical minds, wrestlers, physical. He's the complete package. So when he's on Talking Smack and showing that much emotion and showing that character, and then two weeks later, he's goofy. That's not the Miz. That is the guys directing where the Miz can go. And it basically fell flat afterwards. They kind of revamped it with uh, Dolph Ziggler. And uh, Dolph Ziggler either wins the IC title or he leaves. He retires. He gets out of wrestling, which, you know, Dolph Ziggler then is going to win. (laughs) Five years later, he's still having matches on Raw, isn't he? Yeah. Well, even Dolph Ziggler has gotten one of the worst. um, One of the worst shakes in, in WWF history. I think he's one of the most talented guys, even watching the the Brett uh, Bulldog match. I was thinking of Dolph Ziggler and how he sells. And when Brett was selling um, clotheslines, like nobody does that any. Oh, wait, Dolph Ziggler does that now. Like he gives just that little bit more rather than, oh, I'm clotheslined. I got to fall on my back now, which I think is missing in uh, today's wrestling. But uh, just to go back really quick to your where would we be five years ago? Uh, I don't know if AEW would have lasted as long as it has. It would have been kind of a flash in the pan. It would be going up against ROH, not buying ROH, if Triple H took over five years ago and implemented the the black and gold, would now be established on Raw. And SmackDown. I can't, I can't disagree with that. Now, you mentioned a certain match that we are going to talk about. Really quickly, though, obviously I'm going to mention Clash of the Castle this weekend. Biggest event they've held in the UK in 30 years. Your excitement level for that show? Uh, none. None? I think I think you you talked about it earlier too. Um, I think this was kind of a the way that they presented this. I think it was kind of a throwaway pay per view to start because they still had a pay per view to get through, and they were already hyping. Uh, Clash at the Castle while still trying to promote uh, the last pay-per-view. It, like, which one do you focus on? And now it's only had like two weeks of real promotion. I'm I'm not really all that bought in and even kind of just looking at the card, Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre, we've seen Roman Reigns is being booked as the monster, as the guy you can't beat, should win. They've never really put any money behind or any anything behind Shayna Baszler, although she had an amazing run in Elimination Chamber a couple of years ago. I think Liv Morgan still wins that. They love Gunther. Sheamus is a great opportunity to to feed to him, although he should. Uh, Gunther is the dumbest name. He should still be Walter. I'm waiting. Apparently, Austin Theory and Matt Riddle have gotten their names back. I wonder if that's a change they made. I don't know how I hope they so. take it because it's not just giving a first name back, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's one where people are like, oh, give it time, it'll grow on you. Every time I hear that name, I I just kind of chuckle. <laughs> uh, Edry Mysterio versus the Judgment Day. Yeah, uh, I, they took Edge out of the Judgment Day way too early. Uh, Bianca Belair, Alexa Bliss, and Oscar's thrown together. Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky. We just got to know as a group, so. There's not really a lot of investment there. Matt Riddle versus Seth freaking Rollins is going to be the match of the night. 
I would hope so. It better be. So I would hope so. Long story short, I I didn't I didn't really have a lot of time to get invested in this. This one was kind of thrown together like a lot of their overseas. They promote their overseas longer to the point that you're overlapping to the other uh, pay-per-view that you have to be interested in. And you already know that Roman Reigns is going to fight Drew McIntyre. So is Roman Reigns actually going to lose the match at the other pay-per-view? No, because he's already got... I would love yeah. to see that. Like, the the match that was promoted was changed because the title changed hands. Like, that's the kind of chaos I love. So there wasn't enough of that. But uh, I, I love what Seth uh, Rollins is doing right now. And I think this is a good test for Riddle as well. So I hope that is the match of the night. So the other event I was alluding, alluding towards that happened 30 years ago, we just passed the anniversary the other day, SummerSlam 1992, Wembley Stadium, an event that solidified a fandom, a generation of fans single-handedly sealed with that event. One of the most important in company history, one of the largest events in company history. You can talk about how solid the card was in a general sense. You know, I don't think people will call it the best SummerSlam ever. The atmosphere is one of the best ever. But that show was not main evented by the WWE title match. It was main evented by the Intercontinental title match between defending champion Bret Hart and the challenger, the native son, Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, who was going to win that match whether he wanted to or not. Uh, if you ever saw that clip of the, the kid... They were interviewing fans outside of the state, outside of the arena before. It's like Bulldog's gonna win, Brett's gonna win. And it's just this kid. The British Bulldog's gonna win whether he wants to or not. <laughs> like, didn't just, didn't they make like it wasn't a WWE like uh, action figure, but somebody out there made that was in like the WWE box of the British Bulldog kid, and he's got like a red jacket on. If I yeah, remember, it's like a red red like, blonde hair. hair. Yeah, yep. yeah, that was, probably was a thing. Yeah, yeah. So this event, I've seen it countless times. I've seen the main event match countless times. It is perhaps Bret Hart's magnum opus. Uh, again, I mentioned his book earlier, and for good reason. He talks about in that book, Davey was partying leading up to the match, gets out there, doesn't remember a goddamn thing they went over, and Bret in real time is constructing this masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It is one of the, it holds up to this day still as a phenomenal match, in my opinion. But we'll get Crash's opinion <laughs> because as I learned 24 hours ago, somehow, sir, you had never seen this match, but you have watched it before the start of this podcast. How have you never seen this? And what are your thoughts on the match? You're going to love this too. If you actually asked me to name one other match that happened on that card, I would not be able to tell you. Uh, oh, God. I think I could name a couple. I haven't looked at the card in a while. I have, I have vivid memories of Legion of Doom slash the Road Warriors yeah. driving out in like super shredder garb uh, oh. on their Harleys. On the Harleys the with... With their mascot, Rocco, the dumbest. Yes, yes. Um, so 
to explain why this match, I kind of explained it earlier that I don't necessarily need to watch the match to understand the importance. Um, this came in an era, I was 12. So you either, um, there were three ways to watch this. You either ordered it on pay-per-view, you hoped that it wasn't scrambled back mm. in, yes, and to those who heard scrambled cable, I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to watching wrestling and hoping that they don't scramble it because every once in a while they they didn't. Or and when you did order it, you pretty much had to get a, like somebody's parents ordered it and you got invited over. A fun Go fact ahead. about yes. pay-per-views and hoping that the feed wasn't scrambled is my parents were going to order the 2001 Royal Rumble and our provider had issues to where they couldn't do it. But the channel itself, while scrambled, you still had the audio. Yes, yes. So seven-year-old me listened to the 2001 Royal Rumble. <laughs> oh, I've got vivid memories of uh, Bret Hart winning... Uh, was it the cage? It was a cage match against... No, Probably was it a cage match? SummerSlam 94? No, no, it was King of the Ring. Uh... And when Anvil turned on him, I didn't see it, but I heard it. And because oh, everything was scrambled, I, I sat and I listened to the pay-per-view. So, yeah, so you either ordered it or got invited to somebody's house who did order it. Yeah. You hoped it didn't get scrambled or you had to wait three or four months before it was on VHS at your local blockbuster or uh, rental store. So... I never watched every pay-per-view. We didn't order every pay-per-view. I didn't order a pay-per-view until WrestleMania 10 was my what first. A, what a first like, one, though. What a first oh, one. It is my favorite pay-per-view of all time. It, it it wasn't the first one that I ever saw. I think SummerSlam, like, 88 or 89, my uncle and I went to go see uh, closed-circuit television. I'm not going to explain it. Just Wikipedia it. <laughs> Google it. Yes. <laughs> but, um... So, yeah, I never had the opportunity. I'd always read the results. I'd read uh, in the the wrestling or the WWE magazines because nobody covered it. They barely touched on it on Superstars like that Saturday. It was never recapped. It was always like, make sure you order the replay on pay-per-view. Uh, like if somebody came out with a title, you'd know that they won. So I... I never rented it. I never uh, got the chance to watch it growing up. Now, now with the internet, now with the network, and as you alluded to, you could always go back. You could go and watch these. I already knew the impact of how big this pay-per-view was that I never felt that I needed to. Did I always want to? Yes. Did I take the opportunity to watch it? No. But I always knew it was big because it was in England. It was basically like... Davy Boy's breakout. Mm-hmm. He had just stopped being the tag team with uh, with Dynamite Kid. He was on his solo path. You have to know that Brett has to be in on it to drop the title, and this is Brett's ascension as well into the the heavyweight picture. Within three months of this event, Davy had dropped the IC title to Shawn Michaels, and Brett was world champion. Yeah. Davy was out of the company, I believe, within three months because of the steroid scandal. Gotcha. So, so yeah, it, it happened fast in terms of the aftermath of this. 
but it like to I'd be naive to say like I didn't watch it because I didn't want to. I just I didn't feel like I needed to uh it was half an hour long that I know now today because <laughs> I watched it earlier today. Um I just yeah, I just didn't feel the need to validate how big it was until you brought it up that that was the match that you wanted to highlight for like a retro match. Uh, I'm like, well, I hadn't really seen it, but you know what? Here's a perfect opportunity to go, okay, there's the investment and the value back. We can talk about it. So that's that's the why. I just, I, I, the classic big matches, I've never seen the Hogan-Andre the Giant WrestleMania 3 match. You're not, you're not missing much, Baron. That's fair. That, that's not one that ages well. <laughs> That is an impactful match in the history of professional wrestling. Um, Savage uh, Steamboat. Never watch it. I know how big that match is. Um, so it, it, I just didn't really feel the need to validate uh, how I felt about how big the match was. Now, will I go and watch them? If I have the opportunity. I absolutely want to watch them, but I'm not going to go like, oh, it's Tuesday at seven o'clock. I'm going to go sit down and try and track this match down and, 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 you know, see what everybody is saying about this match is, is I know that it is. So, but having said that, I did sit down earlier today. I did watch the match and it is exactly what I expected. Um, Bulldog was as the, the powerhouse. Brett was the technician. It went back and forth. Brett was Brett. Brett had that, uh, you know, when he got one over on Bulldog, uh, had that smirk. He had that look. He looked at the crowd and said, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to win this match. I'm smarter than them. And the crowd reacted the way that we expected. Even though going in, I believe both were faces for the company. It just ended up being because it was in England. Obviously, Davy Boy is the face in this match and Brett is the heel that got the booze and and he knew how to work that as well. The inclusion of uh, uh, Dana Smith? No. Yes. No, no. Dana? no. I don't remember. Oh, God. Which oh, which sister did Bulldog marry? <laughs> no, it was. Dana Hart yeah. Smith? Is it Dana? I, I'm pretty sh- God damn it. <laughs> no research. <laughs> oh, there's just, there's like 17,000. It was Diana. Diana. 17,000 um, heart kids, for God's sakes. It's tough right. to keep track. It's a uterus, not a clown car. Uh, <laughs> the inclusion of her in like the, the picture in picture brought a good. <laughs> what? What? Come on. You haven't heard that one before? But at the same time, this is a family that had a bear under the front porch at one time. Bear. This is true. In terms of a circus, you know? Yeah. Um, The inclusion of her added a nice element into it. The include... What I got out of it, and I'm not even kidding, what I got out of this match that I didn't expect... um, God, I love uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan. I miss him so much. His interactions with um, with Vince McMahon are legendary. Like, mm-hmm. how Bobby was able to just sit with whoever... Him and Gorilla Monsoon is the best announcing team of all time. But, like, when he played dumb, 
legendary. When he was the smartest guy in the room, legendary. When he knew how to push buttons, legendary. So I'm sitting there and I'm just like, I'm not blown away from Brett because Brett was at his best. I'm not blown away by Davy Boy Smith because he's at his best. He's the powerhouse of the two. He's creating these powerful spots that are only he can pull off. Not really surprised by that. I forgot how good Bobby the Brain Heenan was in this match, playing off of Vince McMahon doing uh, color commentary. I mean, in terms of your viewpoint of like not feeling the need to hype things up that necessarily don't need any more hyping, in a sense, for lack of a better term, like yeah, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, this yeah, match yeah. is amazing. Me saying, yeah, it's amazing, isn't going to add anything to it. Me saying, Bobby the Brain Heenan's the goat. That's not going to add anything to the conversation. Right. But you're you're correct. Yeah, and so, and that's why I don't go back to individual matches. That's why, like, I've always wanted to just spend a weekend and go WrestleMania to WrestleMania or, like, spend a month where I just watch one a day or one, go oh, a weekend and, and go through them all. I tried it. I got through WrestleMania 1, and I'm just like, I'm not adding anything to this. It's not, it's not um, tarnishing how I feel about it. It's not increasing how I feel about it. I know how legendary WrestleMania 1 was. I don't need to watch. So, but there are going to be those matches along the way. Um, uh, like, use another Bret Hart match. His match, I believe, where he won his first intercontinental title against Mr. Perfect. Mm -hmm. I know how important that is, and I know um, that that's going to be a phenomenal match based on the two wrestlers that are in there and everything I've read about it suggests that it was. Therefore, yeah, if I get 20 minutes and the, the right vibe or, you know, it comes up on this podcast that we want to talk about that match, I will watch it. But if you're asking me what I'm doing this weekend, I'm not going to track that episode down to try and find... Because I don't even think it was a pay-per-view. I think it was just like a... Just a regular match. So, Brett winning the title from Mr. Perfect was at SummerSlam 90? Okay. SummerSlam 91? Um, his first world title victory, though, in September of 92 was against Ric Flair at a show in Saskatoon, of all things. Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, yeah. yeah Which so. Ric Flair said he had an inner ear problem, therefore had to vacate the title. It wasn't necessarily Brett's time, but because of... Uh, he was booked for that match, and... Hogan wasn't available to steal the spotlight. Uh, Brett was the guy and ran with it. So, Wrestling stories are phenomenal, which is kind of an interesting segue over to the other big event this weekend, which is AEW All Out, a company that has had its fair share of uh, interesting backstage takes over the past two weeks from a fight that occurred in a sense, between Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara that has seen their pay-per-view match canceled. Eddie Kingston will now, as announced today, be a part of a pre-show match with New Japan's Tomohiro Ishii. Interesting enough. You have no world title match scheduled for this pay-per-view as of yet. We will wait to see what happens on this week's Dynamite as to whether or not we do get a rematch between John Moxley and CM Punk after their three-minute classic on Wednesday that saw Moxley beat Punk in one of the most controversial and talked-about matches I have ever seen, which I loved, in a sense, 
question mark? <laughs> I loved the story, and I wasn't sure if it was the story at the time because going into that, the entire conversation is is punk leaving. Like the the comments about Hangman the week before and how those supposedly weren't planned. All of this stuff, the idea of did they have to try really hard to get Punk to even show up? There was just so much. And then when the match ends in three minutes, you're like, hmm, maybe maybe Punk is just going to leave after a year in the company. He's out, whatever. And instead, you know, you end up in this situation where the entire match, I know you said you didn't watch it, but commentary immediately afterwards are selling the fact that Punk came back too quick. Mm-hmm. And I like that story. Here is a champion comes back after being injured and essentially is goaded into saying, fuck it. We don't have to have the match to pay-per-view. We'll have it. We'll have the match next week. I'm going to kick your ass. Fuck you, John Moxley. And talks himself just like John Moxley said in the promo the week before, constantly writing himself checks that his ass can't cash. And that's exactly what happened the next week. I went back and I watched the promo. Then I watched the match. I think this is a wonderfully crafted story. That's trying to make the best of a situation. That wasn't ideal when CM Punk got injured in the first place. What happens next will dictate how this is remembered. Is Punk still hurt? Is this the setup for a heel turn? Did you not want to have this happen? Number one, you couldn't have had this happen as the main event of a dynamite. What, 955 and the main events come into the ring. That's not going to go over well. You can't have this be the main event of a pay-per-view. The backlash would be outstanding, especially with this pay-per-view being in Chicago. I still think we need to kind of see the latter half of what's happening here, and if it does lead to a a punk heel turn. But I can't say that I'm not excited as hell for Dynamite on Wednesday and that I'm not excited for this pay-per-view just for the potential top of the card alone. So I'm I'm glad that we're kind of touching on this one because... I've got a theory of what happened here. And I I don't know if I've got my timeline correct. Um, I don't think... I'm trying to figure out if... I'm trying to figure out about the injury, because you haven't heard anything about the injury. I've checked the dirt sheets. I, You know, I'm I'm trying to... uh, There's no talk about... Like, the people who talk about the real people behind the wrestlers haven't said anything about the injury since. What they have right. talked it was, about. It was that he's hurt. There was the, the Rampage segment where he said he was stepping away. And then after that, we get an update every two weeks. Like if Big E goes to a doctor's appointment regarding his neck, we know what happened at that doctor's appointment the same day. You're right that there hasn't been anything from a wrestling observer or a fightful about the status of this ankle. So here's what I think went down with all of this. And again, forgive me if I've got my timelines wrong here. Punk comes out, the match is going to be all out, it's going to be Mox versus Punk at all out to unify the titles. Punk comes out to the ring and drops a hangman, you want your rematch, come and get it right now. Which everybody seems to think that he went into business for himself, that was not supposed to be a part of anything. I love how being the elite handled it. (laughs) Where... He's in with the Dark Order, and the guy's like, hey, uh, Punk's, Punk's out for, he's in the ring, he's talking, get out, we're, we're busy right now. Just genius, just genius. Um, Oh, so you're not going to come out and get your rematch? Okay, I guess I can focus on Mox now. Hmm. 
I don't think WWE under the circumstances of what they're trying to build would bring Punk back. So if Punk still wants to be a professional wrestler, and I think he does, I think the stuff that you were hearing isn't as major as intended or I mean, it's hangman kind of did the into business for himself versus punk punk. I mean, every feud that punk's been a part of since he's come back, he's always had some slightly heelish tendencies to it aside from maybe the MJF stuff, but certainly was drifting more towards being who was the heel when he and Eddie Kingston had their pay-per-view match. Punk was more of the heel than Eddie Kingston easily. Right. So and I, you, you, I could make the argument too with MJF. MJF is just the super heel that it allowed Punk to still remain the face while still doing some pretty heelish stuff. Mm. But you've got MJF on the other side being able to out heel the face, right. if that makes sense. Right. So I think, I think the reason we got three minutes was because Punk came out. Uh, said what he said against Hangman, which kind of embarrassed the company behind the scenes. He went into business for himself. And that's why we got it pulled off the pay-per-view. And then it ended up being on Dynamite. And then it's three minutes. And they had the out of Punk's injured foot because he hadn't wrestled. He seemed to be fine. I think that's just him getting the receipt of how he treated everybody in that one moment going against what they're trying to build. That's, again, I'm not an insider. It's just the vibe that I get based on the history of what I know of CM Punk, what I know of professional wrestling. Sooner or later, if you do dumb shit, what is the fuck around and find out, right? He (laughs) fucked around. He wants to still be with AEW. Otherwise, he would have walked out. Punk has got a reputation of saying, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. Bye bye. <laughs> so I think what happened there, and I think it was the right business move. I don't blame Tony Khan and the bookers for handling it the way that they did. It provided chaos, which I love. But at the end of the day, Punk went into business for himself and got a three minute match where he got squashed, where. He has beaten everybody that you've put in front of him. Therefore, Mox shouldn't have been a three-minute match. That was very Goldberg, um, Brock Lesnar-ish, so where it didn't need to be. You view that situation as more of like the, the ego check that was there type of thing. I, I've got a feeling without, again, without any inside knowledge, just reading what I'm reading and the vibe that I get, I think that was more a, you better listen to the boss then think that you can run the show here. And and I think Punk is smart enough that he he had this like, you know what? Everything's kind of going maybe this is the way to make amends, but I am going to step away when this is all said and done. And just kind of I don't know if it's a head straight maneuver by Punk. I don't know if he's pissed off. I just the vibe of the 3 minute match when I heard that it was 3 minutes he got squashed and hearing all the negativity heading into that match I feel like this is more like Punk got what he deserved based on how he handled the situation. I'm hoping he understands that and comes back and 
still tries to lift the Darby Allens and still tries to lift the MJFs. That's why he's there. A uh, title run is perfect because it's the nostalgia, but he's there to make sure that, man, we could have had Punk and, and FTR for the trios title. Instead, we've got Punk in a squash match because Punk's running his mouth and walking away from the company for a little bit. All I can say about the pay-per-view at this point and about what's going on with the company in general, I'm still excited for it. Like, I get that a lot of people are like, oh, have they fully capitalized on a lot of momentum and a lot of characters over the past year? No, they're not batting a thousand. But I am very much excited to see kind of how this plays out. I mean, you're talking about a lot of moving pieces at the main event scene. The rest of the card is certainly interesting where you're going to get some great matches. I mean, Danielson and Jericho are having a match. I mean, it's not, it's hardly going to be a bad thing. I'm excited for this show. I mean, again, whether or not it goes until freaking midnight, who the hell knows? Um, <laughs> see, AEW pay-per-views tend to do, but all things considered. Yeah. If you ask me, Hey, what are you looking forward to this weekend? It, it's definitely this. I do wish the event was yes. on a Saturday instead of a Sunday, but yeah. I, yeah. If it was flipped, I would feel way better about this weekend. But just looking at this card, it's the buildup. Okay, so there's two matches that we haven't really gotten the buildup for, and yet my my interest is not wavered. Uh, the interim women's world championship, nothing you can do about that, and they've really put yeah. together a solid group. That how they've built everything. Yeah, you know what? If it feels like it's a Britt Baker uh, retaining or or re-winning. But any one of those four could grab the title. Uh, Danielson and Chris Jericho, you just say that they're going to have a match, and that's enough for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swerve in their glory and the acclaimed, they've built the acclaimed so perfectly. They went from the guys you love to hate to the guys you want to see come out and what they're going to say. And they're good wrestlers. Like, they actually deserve a tag, a tag team shot. I'm actually surprised that this is one of their first pay-per-views where they actually have a chance at the uh, the tag team title. Uh, Jade versus Athena? Mm. Ember Moon? It, Athena, yeah. right? Yeah. They've been building um, up for a couple months at this point. And this could be the first loss of Jade's career. I'm going to go on record as saying, I'll take. Uh, this might actually be. I'm, I'm saying might. Not that it is. Because <laughs> the way they book and have been booking Jade, too. I'm surprised Jade's not in the interim women's championship match, to tell you the truth. To go for the, the double, basically. Yeah, and then drop the drop the TBS and let there be a tournament for that. And then she can always be the, the one that... Uh, that never lost that title. Never lost yet. that title. Yeah. Uh, I think gonna... there's a thousand talking points regarding this event. Yes. We said we were both going to aim for an hour for this first episode, which, of course, we are already <laughs> over that time. Fair. So I think we can continue conversations regarding both of the big companies next week, especially because it'll be the aftermath, and we'll kind of know where we're going. And uh, I'll, I'll skip over Jungle Boy, uh, Christian Cage, and... That's going to be good, too. Oh, that Starks, Starks and, uh, and uh, Shaw. It's going to be great. Starts I am Sean Hobbs, Hobbs and Shaw. Sean Hobbs, is it? <laughs> that... Powerhouse Hobbs, Hobbs and Shaw. It's literally like on my screen. It's the one that's underneath, and I had old man brain again. Anyways, <laughs> uh, Starks and Hobbs or in Shaw, whatever. 
that's uh the rock isn't it or yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's jason statham fantastic Beautiful. that's uh all the concussions from all the backyard wrestling i did way back in the day i am super excited for the match that i don't feel got as much build up as it should which is wardlow and ftr and jay lethal and the motor city machine guns that is to me again to call match of the night i think that's going to be the one great match i can understand people's concerns about the build-up which at the same time i don't think it needs it i don't think yeah. it needs. well it. i mean i i know people were disappointed it's like it's not ftr young bucks three on this card which i can understand but at the same time you can always go back to that but having the bucks with kenny is a big deal and presumably of course they'll be in the final for the trios title that match by the way of uh and we're gonna get to see osprey and omega in the same ring on wednesday which is gonna be amazing Right. Um. Yeah, like I, I, I certainly think, like always with AEW, you can look at certain things about a card, nitpick. Okay, is this character where they should be? Is this the right match? But at the end of the day, I do try to invo- you know enjoy things for what they are. And uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. I think it's going to be another great pay per view. AEW has had, I'd argue, one miss on pay per view in their history, and that's why they routinely get my money every four months. Okay, go back to the wrap up then. I will. So with that, everybody, we thank you, especially if you made it to this point in the show. We will be here on a weekly basis. We'll have some more information for you down the road. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Tukey24. Crash is on Twitter at Crash Andrews. Or is there an underscore? In Crash there? underscore Andrews is Crash the underscore only... Andrews on yes. Twitter. There you go. There is actually um, a, a Twitter account for the podcast as well at uh, 2ND Turnbuckle. There you go. So all the links to that will be in the description. We hope to get kind of a mailbag going as well. And I think every week, you know, again, we'll talk about the big stories. We'll we'll do a little flashback to the past to test Crash's uh, history. <laughs> history I'm knowledge. Drink more coffee before one of these. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, I think we're good to go. Crash, I had the first word on this show. You get the last word. Bring us home. Uh. Listen, uh, I'll I'll pump your tires a little bit. We've been working on projects or talking about working on projects. So I'm finally glad that we found one that uh, that actually makes sense. Um, I'm glad to have you as my tag team partner. And uh, and Marty Janetti did not get super kicked through the glass. As Bobby the Brain Heenan said, what a coward. He tried to escape. He jumped through the glass. Jumped through the glass. (laughs) Uh, We will see you next week, everybody. Thank you for joining us. And goodbye.